Hey, you're listening to the C3 Network Podcast with Dan Holland. Our mission is to create a network of micro churches that are finding, teaching, and equipping people to be on mission. Our hope is that this encourages you. Be sure to leave us a review so you can help us share our message with more people who need to hear it. And now, Dan Holland. Last week, we kicked off a new sermon series entitled, Love Out Loud. Now, in this series, we're looking at what Scripture has to say about how we are to relate to one another in the family of God. Is it easy to be family? Hopefully, more days than not, but definitely not always. A lady named Barbara Murphy wrote about her grandson's disappointing day in kindergarten. The little guy came home in tears, so his mother tried to understand his great sadness, and he explained how the teacher had told them to eat popcorn in the class, and then they could read. And while he was sobbing, he said, I ate the popcorn, and I still can't read. He's not alone in having expectations for unrealistic outcomes, right? The reality is, each of us has issues. Each of us bring our own set of baggage into this relationship, past hurts and personality quirks, bad habits, even attitude issues. This is why it's so important to tune into what Scripture has to say, and they have a lot to say about how to get along. Fifty-nine times in Scripture, we're told to either treat or avoid treating one another in a very specific way. We're exploring the one another's in Scripture. The wisdom contained in these texts are key to creating healthy, not perfect, but healthy relationships in the church. Now, while each of the one another's are important, there is one that is most important. It's the command to love one another. We talked about that last week. That was our focus. So just to see if you were paying attention, how are we to love one another? We are to love one another as Jesus loved us. So, at the end of the message last week, I left you with a challenge to pray, memorize, and live 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 12. Did anyone take me up on that challenge? Here, let's say it together. May the Lord make our love increase and overflow for each other and everyone else. Good job. The one another we're going to focus on today is mentioned in both 1 Thessalonians 5 as well as Hebrews 3. In both places, we're commanded to encourage one another. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11, he wrote this, Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you're doing. Quick show of hands, virtually of course. How many of you could use some encouragement from time to time? Right? Most of you are quick to say yes. Now there's a few of you out there who are thinking, I don't really need any encouragement. That's for wimps and whiners. Just You can stop it right now. Even the most resilient people need encouragement because life can be messy and downright hard. Can I get an amen for that? Some days are filled with disappointment, heartache, and frustration. And just because you're a follower of Jesus does not exempt you from any of the pain in life. Jesus himself was upfront with the reality that life wasn't always going to go our way, which is kind of a bummer, but it's true. John chapter 16, verse 33, this is what Jesus said. In this world, you will have trouble. A little bit of trouble is often manageable. But even the most optimistic, faithful person can only withstand so much trouble before discouragement starts to set in. Discouragement quickly leads to questions like, what's the point? 
And even the questioning of, of, of one's own self-worth. Discouragement's not something that we can take lightly. We must not assume that people will eventually just get over it and bounce back stronger than, 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 than before. The reality is that discouraged people are in a very vulnerable place. What are they vulnerable to? They're vulnerable to a crisis of faith. Not too long ago, a comedian, Pete Holmes, was being interviewed. And Pete grew up in a Christian household, but had since rejected the Christian faith. In an interview with Pete, he gave the host of the show a number of intellectual arguments for his position. But when the interviewer questioned him about when was it that he started moving away from Jesus, he confessed it was when he had gone through a messy divorce. Pete's story isn't really all that unusual. When life delivers trouble, and I'm not talking about my internet went out for the day kind of trouble, but serious trouble like divorce or the loss of a child or stabbed in the back by a business partner or being mistreated by church leadership, those things can cast real doubts on God's character, resulting in a crisis of faith. Those who are discouraged are also vulnerable to sin. Okay, I know we're all vulnerable to sin, but we tend to be especially vulnerable whenever we're hurting. Why? Nobody likes to hurt. Do you like to hurt? I don't. Correct me if I'm wrong, but pain, loss, grief, feelings of inadequacy, you name it, they're awful feelings to, to have to deal with at any point in life. So you know what Satan does? He's quick to say to us, you don't have to deal with those bad feelings. Instead, you know what you can do? You can just eat, drink, spend, sleep, smoke, work, entertain them away. When we're in a good place spiritually now, we're quick to call him out for the liar that he is. It's like grocery shopping when you're hungry. It's just a bad idea because everything looks so good and you end up spending more and often eating more unhealthy than you normally might. You see, we know that the only way to get through pain is to go through it. But those lies are awfully convincing whenever you're discouraged. In fact, I'd be willing to bet that 98% of the time that your life has gone off the rails, there's been some form of discouragement at work or home or church that was present in your life. So every Christmas season I watch, It's a Wonderful Life. It's the story of George Bailey, his decisions to help others at his, own, at his own sacrifice, and the difficulty that he finds himself in has become a holiday classic. It's really a story of a guy on the brink of suicide because he lost perspective, but there's more to it. What led to the loss of perspective? So at the beginning of the movie, there's this exchange between Clarence, who is George's guardian angel, and his boss up in heaven, which has always struck me as very potent. So Clarence says, you sent for me, sir? His boss. Yes, Clarence, a man down on earth needs our help. And Clarence said, splendid. Is he sick? And his boss responds, no, worse. He's discouraged. Of all the words that the writers could have been, could have selected to describe George's difficulties, the writers chose discouraged. They could have gone with, he was angry, upset, sad, bitter, broke, all of which would have been true. But instead, discouraged was used to describe the position that he was in. And this reminds me of our obligation to one another and how being discouraged causes us 
to shy away from believing in ourselves, succeeding in God's call to live on mission and living up to our God-given potential. You see, according to scripture, it's our job to encourage, to put courage into each other. You know, like George, in times of discouragement, we're also vulnerable to quitting. Most discouraged people won't quit their job because hunger is a powerful motivator, but they often begin to just kind of disappear. You can begin to fade out in relationships with your spouse or your family, your friends. Discouraged people just, they just stop engaging relationally. You look around, you'll see this is true. It could be your family, work, church, you're showing up physically, but the person's mind, maybe it's your mind and heart are just checked out. Going through the motions, you're checking the boxes, you're just not engaged. See, discouraged people find reasons to disengage. They throw in the towel on making a difference in the world. And Satan doesn't care if you say no to evil, just so long as you're not saying yes to good. He's good with you just existing so long as you're not really living. That's often what happens to discouraged people. They just try their best to get through the day. But we all face discouragement. I do, you do, we all do. It's real and it's often really raw. I remember Billy Graham said, you know, the Christian life is not a constant high. I have my moments of deep discouragement, he said. I have to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me or help me. You see, the point is we all experience discouragement, folks. So what should we do to combat discouragement? Turn in your Bibles, Hebrews chapter three. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar with this, the background of this passage, it's very important. Hebrews is written by an unnamed preacher to Jews who had converted over to Christianity. And life wasn't easy for these Christians. That's the understatement of the decade. They were greatly mistreated by society, if not their own family, simply because of their faith in Jesus. And you know how you feel when, you, when the dentist tells you, hey, you've got six cavities, or you get that letter from the IRS informing you that you're going to be audited? That's how these folks felt most every day, all the time. Super anxious and, and highly discouraged. Their life was so difficult that many of these Jewish Christians were contemplating throwing in the towel in their faith in, in Jesus and just returning to Judaism. That's the context. In Hebrews chapter three, the preacher reminds the church of how important it was for them to encourage each other. And listen carefully to what he says, because there are some very important implications for us today. It's Hebrews chapter three, Verse 12 and 13. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So what do we learn from this text? First, we must encourage others even when we're discouraged. Notice the writer didn't command those who were not currently going through a hard time to encourage those who were. If he would have, very little encouraging would have actually taken place because life was difficult for almost everybody. I realize that there are times when life is so overwhelming that we just don't have it in us to encourage others. But encouraging others is often one of the best things that we can do 
whenever we're discouraged. How so? For at least a few minutes, it takes our focus off whatever it is that has us discouraged. Also, the words of encouragement that we speak to others are often the words we most need to hear. Oh, and, and remember this, very few things are as encouraging as seeing God bring encouragement to someone else through you. So encourage one another, even if you're discouraged at the moment. This text also reminds us that there should be a sense of urgency in us to encourage. That's what the writer's getting to whenever he says, as long as it is called today. Too often, we become aware of people in need of encouragement, but decide to put it off until tomorrow. This text reminds us not to do that. We need to be all about encouragement right now, right here, in whatever way that's needed. So do you know anyone that's in need of encouragement? So take out your smartphone and send them a text this minute. Seriously, I'm going to wait. In fact, I'm going to do it myself. Just text someone something like, like this. Just sitting here thinking about you and all that you're going through, and I just want you to know that God loves you. You go ahead. I'm going to send mine. There you go. Do you send a text? There you go. Then I feel good. All right, finally, this text reminds us that encouraging one another should be a daily priority. I promise you that it is not hard to find people in need of encouragement each and every day. However, you do have to slow down long enough to really see and hear people. If you pay attention, you'll notice people who have a smile on their face, but deep pain in their eyes. Maybe people who have a quick wit, but have a sense of desperation in their voice. See, the world is full of hurting people. Some are right there beside you, but we will continue to miss them unless this encouraging others becomes a part of our everyday to-do list. Okay, so we're just supposed to encourage the hurting, but how? That's the question that I hope that you will discuss right there in your group. Take some time to share what you find to be most encouraging whenever you are hurting. There are a lot of different ways to go about this, but the main objective of our encouragement should be to point hurting people to Jesus. And one of the best ways to do this is to remind people in a very natural, not a preachy way, of the promises of God. Promises like the one that we find Jesus sharing in that same verse where he tells us that we're going to have trouble in this world, John 16, that I mentioned. He said, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. See, getting through the pain of today becomes doable when I'm reminded of what is coming. That's just one promise of God. This book, this owner's manual, is really full of encouraging promises. Promises like the one we find in Hebrews 13, 5, when he says, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Doesn't it breathe just a little bit of hope into your soul to know that God is present with you wherever you are, when you're in the ER, unemployment line, or you're sitting alone in a room of a child who's lost his or her way? One of my favorite promises, Romans 8, 28, just says, and we know that in all things, God works together for good to those who love him, 
who have been called according to his purpose. He's working it all together for good. See, we can encourage one another by reminding each other of the promises of God. But let me offer just a couple of cautions. First, don't make promises that God never made. For instance, please don't tell people that God won't give them more than they can handle. That's not in the Bible. God promised not to let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. That's true. But life often delivers blows too big for us to handle on our own. It's no fun to find yourself in that situation, but there is a lesson to be learned in those moments. See, Paul talks about that in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to share this with you because these are some of the passages that we sometimes gloss over as we're reading the scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God, who raises the dead. Paul despaired of life itself. That's what it says. Paul was in the same place as George Bailey, only in real life. George Bailey needed to be reminded that he had friends which made him rich. Paul needed to be reminded to rely on God, who can do anything and provide everything. The second, second caution. I want you to pay attention to how people react to your sharing of Scripture. If they seem to be kind of put off, don't just keep quoting stuff at them like it's some kind of cure-all prescription. People who are hurting sometimes need time to work some things through with God before they're ready to hear about his promises. Just because you have something really good to say, it doesn't mean that it's the right time to say it. So be sensitive. That, that's the point. Another way to encourage is to share how you see God working in or through the life of the other person. Now, as I alluded to in the beginning of this message, some hurts in life can be like a sledgehammer to a person's self-esteem. What a person often needs to hear most often is that God has not given up on them. That he is still, he still has a plan. He still has a purpose for them. That he's still using them in some really good ways. And one of the most encouraging things that you can do for another person is to share with them very specifically how God has or is using them to bless your life. Take out your phone again. We're going to send another text. I want you to think of one person in your contact list that has blessed your life. And you don't, you're not required to do that right this minute, but send a one-line thank you to the person for the impact that they've had on your life. Just one person. Whether that person is discouraged or not, he or she is going to be encouraged when they read that text. Right this minute, I have a good friend who is facing an illness that will eventually end her life. Unless there's a miracle healing, it will end her life. I was in the hospital with her just a few days ago. But it's going to first lead to the loss of the role that she's had at her company, which can lead to a devastating sense of loss of purpose. She'll have to live with that reality that she may lose life as she's known it before she passes. And sometimes, it occurred to me that living seems harder than dying. 
But one of the things I've shared is I've encountered people who are discouraged is I, I use this phrase with them. I say to them, don't throw away your confidence because it will be richly rewarded. And then I add, that's in the Bible, which often surprises them. And I send them off to read Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35. You see, discouraged people often have lost their confidence. Maybe they've lost their confidence because they've lost what was predictable in their life. And, and we can't sell ourselves short on that. When we lose what's predictable, we feel less confident. Like Paul, we have to learn to rely on God who even raises the dead. So this is the challenge I want to leave with you for this week. Take a person who you know is going through a difficult time. Take them out for coffee this week and, uh, or some hot tea. I have friends who only drink hot tea. I don't want you to feel pressure to say anything profound or quote scripture or give them three reasons why they shouldn't be discouraged. Please don't do that. All I hope that you will do is just be there for that person. If they open up and they want to talk about their pain, great. Just listen and empathize. If they open up, great. If they don't, that's all right too. Because when you listen to people, you validate them. And perhaps the best thing you can do to lift their spirit is to give them a 30-minute reprieve from thinking about their hurt. So let's go crush it in encouraging others this week. A Father in heaven, we want so desperately when we see people who are discouraged, we want so desperately to encourage them. We want their spirits to be lifted. We want their heart to be healed. Father, I know that you're the, you're the great healer. You're the one who loves each one of us deeply and desperately. I pray, Father, that you will help everyone who is listening to realize in a very real way how much you as their creator love them. And I pray that they, all of us, will be able to show that love by encouraging those who are around us. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in. If you like this podcast, we post a new episode each week. So be sure to subscribe and leave us a review so you can help share our message. We'll see you next time.